when I can go out there and say, hey, this this week I'm going to talk to 15 landlords and I'm just going to work on getting better every single time. Now we see progress. Now we meet our own expectations. And by getting better every time and hitting those 15 landlords, we're naturally, if we keep on doing that every week, we're eventually going to get one. But if I say, I need to sign one lease this week, then I focus so much on the pressure of the result rather than just the action of what's gonna eventually create the results. This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, the show that will help you escape the Wall Street casino and build wealth on Main Street by investing in real estate. This is the show where we believe the best way to achieve financial independence and build wealth is to build multiple streams of passive income. And the best, most proven way to do that is through real estate investing. I'm your host, Taylor Lote, and today our guest is Kyle Stanley. Today, we're learning about his journey, scaling his short-term rental business, going from a Burr, his initial Burr investment, that was his first short-term rental, scaling all the way up to just an incredible portfolio that he has now that he's gonna tell you more about in the interview, but doing very big things very quickly. He started initially doing flips and then transitioned into this short-term rental strategy for a lot of big reasons, and you're gonna understand why, but again, it ultimately comes down to building passive income. That's what he did, and now that's what he's teaching us how he did, and he's teaching others how to do the same. So a lot of great information in this one for those of you out there who are interested in the short-term rental investing strategy. We're digging into that, how he built his team, which is the most important part of any business is having a team behind you if you want to scale how he invested in his team members. We talk about one in particular, getting helping her to grow and grow with the business. So much more, really important stuff. Again, if you're building a business, you need to work on your business and not in your business. And that's what he does. He works on his business, not in his business. And we're learning a lot of those important lessons today. I'm your host, Taylor Lode. I'm a real estate investor, and I help busy people passively invest in commercial real estate, specifically multifamily and self-storage properties. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and would like to learn about investing with us on a future deal, just go to investwithtaylor.com, fill out the form and schedule a call, and we'll look forward to speaking with you soon. If you're an Apple Podcast user and you enjoy the show, please take a moment and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind. I appreciate that so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcast ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys. That gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street casino. You're building passive income with us through real estate. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Once again, our guest today is Kyle Stanley. We're learning about his short-term rental business, how he built it up, and so much more. Without any further ado, here we go. Kyle, thanks so much for joining us today. For our listeners out there who don't know about you and your business, can you tell us about yourself and what you're doing in short-term rentals? Yeah, Taylor, thanks for having me, man. Been doing short-term rentals for about three and a half years. We have just shy of 70 properties in Central California and also in Phoenix and Scottsdale. And only about 10 to 15% we own. All the other ones are owned by other people. And we jump in there and we either do it through the master lease rental arbitrage model where we rent it from them and then sublease on their Airbnb or VRBO or any of the other platforms. But the main one is we do co-hosting, which is just a glorified name for managing another person's short-term rental. And so have seen this thing grow from pretty much zero to over three and a half million dollars per year of gross revenue. 
in less than three years. And uh, it's been really fun, man. Awesome. I love that. And we were talking before we started recording about your strategy, you know, in investing, <clears throat> excuse me, investing before you got into short-term rentals, because I think that's important to shed light on. Sometimes when folks hear about the things that you're doing now, it can seem very daunting. Oh man, I could never get to that point, man. He must've been building this for years and years and years. So what were you doing before the short-term rentals? Yeah, no, I'm really glad you bring that up because I think the struggle is the most important thing that people don't always see. And I can tell you the struggle was real for about nine years before I got into short-term rentals. You know, 22 years old, coming out of college in 2010, I was a sports anchor, which sounds really glorified and awesome, but it's not. Um, I can tell you that I was making $19,500 my first year and I was working 50 hours a week. And to be completely honest, if I had told anyone that I wanted to get paid overtime, they would just show me a list of another 300 to 400 candidates that wanted the same job as me that were willing to get paid that $19,500. So it was very much a, uh, you know, eat or be eaten type of business. And so I found out really quickly right away that I did not like taking orders from other people. And I did not like being told when to show up to work and how to do my job. And so what we call that, right, is an entrepreneur. So I, I went and started my own business. It ended up growing enough for me to be able to leave the news. I did that. That business was helping athletes get recruited to play in college, making their videos to help them move on to college. Just through it, kind of like what I was telling you before we started this, it, through a lot of a lot of ego-driven, poor decisions, I just really was <laughs> uh, was so attached to the result of that business. And and uh, I'm reading a good book now that I recommend to a lot of people called Necessary Endings. When you just see the writing on the wall, it's not a failure. It's just accepting the fact that endings are part of life. And that business probably came to an end about three or four years too late because I was just holding on to dear life on that thing because I just didn't want to fail. When I finally let that go, um, I can tell you that that's when I was really able to start figuring out like, what do I want life to look like? And so through trying a couple other things out, I was in MLM for a little bit. I did some sales jobs. I really just came to the the idea that like, hey, passive income is really the only thing that's going to give me the lifestyle that I want to be. You know, I'm I'm about to become a dad here in February of 2023. So one nice. of the biggest things that's been driving me for the last few years has been can I have at least the the time and financial means to support my family and be there for my family? And now today I can say that I'm able to do that because I, in 2019, just to make a long story short, 2019, my dad was on his deathbed after going through bone cancer. And that was when I really said like, okay, if I want to work until the day that I die, um, I can take some of the same paths as everyone else, or I can do something called real estate, which I keep hearing is a great way to make passive income. And went to a fortune builders event January of 19. Uh, it was January 6th of 2019. I remember really specifically because it was 11 days before my dad passed. And I, I said yes to starting to flip houses, had a deal about a month later, was flipping it and getting it back on the MLS about three months later and making my first check of what was like, wow, you know, I, I can't believe what I just did and I didn't have to be there. Like I could hire the contractor. I could hire the person to go out there and do it. All I had to do was find the deal and just manage the, the project from there. And that was kind of that aha moment of like, wow, I don't have to work 50 hours a week just to make, you know, $5,000, $6,000 a month. So to wrap things up, I, I flipped my first house, flipped another couple, and then I decided to hold on to one and try my short, my, my luck at short-term rentals. 
And uh, that's when really things started to take off. Awesome. Well, I'm really sorry to hear about your dad and congratulations you. on becoming a father yourself this coming uh, 2023. So thank you. Thank you. Uh, yeah. And that, like the song goes, every, every new beginning is some other beginnings end. I think is <laughs> the, the line from closing time. It's been a long time since I heard that, but I get, I'd like to dig into first, you know, starting with that first short-term rental and then, you know, go through the progression that building teams and systems, because everything you're doing now, you can't do this all alone, right? But it also starts somewhere. Yeah. So let's talk about that first short-term rental deal you did. Yeah, it was really cool. It was a burr. You guys aren't familiar with burrs. It's a buy, rent, or buy, rehab, rent, refinance, repeat. And I, I got it with the idea that, hey, I'm going to flip this house. And then my mentor told me, no, hold on to it. This is going to be a great rental. And I was like, all right, that sounds cool. Let me do the numbers. And honestly, Taylor, like I wasn't excited about the numbers. I was just like, okay, I can either sell this thing and make a quick 50K or I can hold on to it as a rental and make $600 a month. And like, you know, when I refinance it, maybe get all my money back or maybe get like $10,000 back. I just wasn't really seeing it. So I've been doing Airbnb in the background as just a room out of my house for three years prior. Mm. And I was like, well, I wonder if like this would actually do well as a entire house as Airbnb. And I ran some numbers and I, I did, I double checked again. And I had, I had some other people check because I was like, am I crazy? But it showed that I was going to make over $2,000 after all expenses for this one house. Whereas the long-term rental was going to only make $600 a month. And I was like, all right, Fresno, California. Is this really like going to happen? Is, is this thing going to get booked? And sure enough, even though I had, even my mentor was like, that sounds a little crazy. I don't think it's going to work. But you know, if, if it's low risk, go ahead and try it out. And it was low risk because all I had to do was furnish it. So I think I spent about $12,000 furnishing the place. And by the way, once it refinanced, got all that money back. So $0 in the deal. It made that $2,000 the first month after all expenses. And I was like, holy cow, what have I just found? Like, you know, you <laughs> kind of think like, all right, I've got this gold. Now I'm going to go, I don't want to tell anyone. And then I found out like, okay, I, I can now go rent houses and then just pay for furniture and then sublease it and make another thousand, fifteen hundred, two thousand dollars $2,000. And I was just like, oh my gosh, I've, I've found something here that no one else knows about. And, uh, Sure enough, it, it's turned into what it is today. But I can tell you the big turning point for me was figuring out like, even though I had some gold, I need to share that gold and just trust that it's going to come back tenfold. And, and a friend of mine told me, you know, abundance mindset, you just got to tell everyone what you're doing and have no expectations of what's going to come back to you, but just trust the fact that it'll likely come back tenfold. And it totally did. Wow. Awesome. So you did that first deal. It's very profitable, making you a lot of money. I mean, the numbers in short-term rentals, if you do it right, can be pretty incredible. You know, um, it can also go, every deal can go wrong, right? But if you do it right, they can cash flow like crazy. So you did that first short-term rental deal, not not including your renting out the room in your house, but mm -hmm. doing that deal, what does it look like as you, I mean, you scaled your portfolio pretty quickly. So Let's talk about how you how you did that. I mean, you, I imagine you added, you know, team members, tools, resources, everything like that. I mean, you're obviously not doing these things manually. You have time to talk with me here. So, how did you, you know, continue to scale the portfolio? Yeah, well, like I said, today we're over or close to seventy properties, mm -hmm. and 
with the two teams that I have, I probably put about three hours to five hours on a busy week into both teams. So I'm really between both teams working about six to 10 hours at, at the max, each property producing close to a thousand dollars a month of, of net profit. So, um, it, it, you, you nailed it. It's the team. Um, so there's great technologies out there for short-term rentals. I use price labs. I recommend people use types of, you know, the, the auto responders and auto task assigners. We call those property management systems. Um, there's hospitable, there's host away. There's a lot of different ones that you can use, but those are the two main ones. But if I don't have the right people to manage those technologies, then I'm still working in the business instead of on the business. Mm -hmm. So all of my time today, because I've been able to create great systems, use great, great technology, bring on great people from a COO to a cleaning manager, to a bookkeeper, interior designer. We have 12 different cleaners. We have a quality control manager. Legitimately only two employees, but the rest are all contractors. I would say altogether, our team in totals about 20 people. And I just have a great team that goes out there and does the dang thing for us on a daily basis. But it 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 was slow developing, right? Like I don't have to start with one property with 20 people. Like <laughs> I got one property and I just thought to myself, okay, if I've done these things three or four or five times, I need to document it and I need to now teach someone else how to do it so I can take myself out of cleaning, out of responding to guests, out of pricing my properties. And I can bring someone in to take over those things. And now I can just focus on having conversations, productive money-making conversations with people who already own properties that will sign an agreement with me. And I can then take it over and start making them money and making us money. And, and that was what really allowed me to be able to take this thing off. Ironically, it took off the most after COVID happened. We, we were at seven or eight properties right when COVID hit. I thought the world was coming to an end, right? And I was just like, well, what's, what's going to happen with our short-term rental portfolio? It continued to perform. And because it continued to perform, and I told people about that, man, it was, it was crazy. It was almost like this light bulb for people went off where they were like, if short-term rentals survive COVID, then it should be able to survive anything. So as soon as July 2020 came around, I had this funnel of people that were just ready to give me their properties. And we were able to go from about seven or eight at that time to 25 in the next four months. And it was, but we were in a position to do that because we had a great team. And so if anyone's out there trying to start this today, just realize like eventually you need a team, but you just need to learn how to do it yourself to start off. And then from there, if you create great systems, and this, this is not that hard, to be honest, it's just about managing people. It's about training and managing people how to use these systems and how to be able to respond to guests and how to fix issues. If, if you can find those people, you've got a business. Great. So who was that first hire for you and what did they do? Yeah. Great question. They were one of my cleaners. Um, in fact, most of our best employees or, or top teammates today started out as cleaners. So she was a cleaner and she's, she told me straight up from the get-go, as long as I can make $600 a month, that'll help me pay for my car payment. And as long as I can take my kids to these houses to clean, then you know that's what's important to me because she had toddlers. She had a two-year-old and a three-year-old. I said, as long as you get the houses cleaned, I'll, yeah, I, I can make sure that that happens. So uh, she started off that way. And then I just kind of graduated her. I gave her more responsibilities with more pay. She you know, checked off that box, more responsibilities, more pay, checked off that box. And today, now she literally runs the business. She's our COO. And I check in with her a couple of times a week just to make sure things are operating smoothly. And that's honestly, for a lot of people in this business, I think one of the best ways to develop someone is just 
if they're willing to do the small things and they can knock it out of the park and just continue to prove themselves, uh, you've got an opportunity to be able to have someone grow along with you rather than hire someone that's already done all that growing and costs a lot more money. Wow. That's awesome. I love that. I love that she's still with you and has continued to grow with the business. Now, I imagine there obviously came, came a point where she got more responsibilities and instead of you know actively doing things like cleaning properties, she was now managing people. And it's a completely different skill set to actually execute in a business as opposed to manage people. Was that a bit of a learning process? Did she take to that you know naturally? I mean, we have to learn that along the way. Yeah, no, I'm I'm really glad you're asking these questions because I I kind of say my my quote unquote superpower in short term rentals is culture and building my team up. I had someone who was just raw clay, right? And they told me, I see the vision. I see the opportunity, mold me however you need me into the business. And so through really my, my multi-level marketing days of self-development and learning leadership, I was able to take that and apply it to this business and help build her up as a leader in the business and challenge her along the way. Now, you know, the conversations in the beginning sounded like, hey, this is how you clean a house. This is how you respond to a guest. Now the conversations today say, hey, here's the book that you need to read in order to be a better leader in our business, right? Like those are the differences in conversations now that really that that's way more exciting to me. You know, last month we paid her close to $8,000 when in the beginning she was only needing $600 per month, right? And, but she deserves it because she's met those, those expectations. And, you know, at a certain point, right around, you know, that extra call it, you know, $3,000, $4,000 per month. Now, now I'm bringing you into an admin role and I need you to be a better leader. The question is, are you ready to get, you know, get in front of the mirror with yourself and say, how do I become a better leader? And the answer for that for her was yes. And so I was able to, to take someone that wanted to be a better leader, show them the way, direct them to the right resources without having to be their leadership and life coach, if that makes sense. Yeah, great. So you mentioned about reading books. Is there any one book or maybe two books in particular that stick out in your mind that are that are key in this space? Maybe not just for her, but you know, for for building these leadership skills. What what uh, makes the most sense for you as far as books? Yeah, I actually just posted about this on my Instagram, and I said, you know, the the top three books. DM me for the top three books, and so I'll just give you the top three books that <laughs> that I had. Number one in regards to leadership and developing culture was The Dream Manager. The Dream Manager is an awesome book. Essentially, um, it's about a janitorial company that has 110% turnover every single year. And they were able to, with one small tweak and one person coming in and just really creating a culture, be able to have zero turnover in the, the, or the next six months. So a lot of that book, I based the culture of my business around. Chop wood, carry water is the next one. That one is awesome for just learning that, you know, it's more about the patience and enjoying the journey and you're not going to be perfect. Um, and then the last one is, I mean, I know that you probably heard about this one. A lot of people talk about it Four hour work week, you know, oh, yeah. just learning how to delegate. That was a big one too, for my manager, because she was so used to, I got to clean this property. I got to respond to this guest. I got to do this. I got to do this and all the things in front of her. I had to teach her how do we now start to bring some of these resources in of people that we have and delegate to them so that you can really focus on, again, the money-making activities or the things that are going to make us better hosts 
and better give better experiences to our guests. So that was a that was a big book for her for sure. Yeah, the four hour work week has been a long time since I read that, but that one has been on my list to go back to and focus on a few of the a few of the parts of it, uh, in particular to deal with uh, leadership and outsourcing tasks and everything like that. So great. Now there are going to be folks out there, I'm sure, who took note of the number of units that you host out of as a as compared to the number that you own. You own significantly uh, a very small percentage of the units that you host out of or, or host a, a short-term rental out of maybe very small by my metrics i guess i don't know maybe maybe not you i don't want to put judgment <laughs> on that uh really what i'm driving at is how do you do it how does the the arbitrage model work and that's the, the key term that's often mentioned in this case yeah so arbitrage wise we have about 11 12 properties the majority we co-host so i'll, I'll kind of break down the differences Great. of those arbitrage is the really the the lowest barrier of entry, the lowest hanging fruit, because the landlord gets their guaranteed rent, right? You have no experience, but at least this landlord knows they're going to sign a lease with you and they're going to get guaranteed rent. So it looks basically like I rent from a landlord with their permission. Then I sublease it on a platform like Airbnb. And after all expenses, I keep all the profit. So if I rent it for $2,500, and I have $500 of cleaning expenses. My all-in expenses are $3,000. And then I rent it on Airbnb for $200 a night and it's fully booked at $6,000. So I just netted $3,000 that month. Maybe I furnished the place plus paid for the security deposit plus paid for the first month's rent. Maybe that was $15,000. Heck, worst case scenario, $20,000. And I'm making my money back in six months or less. That's a really good arbitrage deal. I know plenty of people that have over a hundred arbitrage deals. The biggest issue that you have with that is you can get a few up and running, but then capital becomes an issue. Not everyone has $20,000 ready to just pump out another short-term rental. So raising money becomes really the next step. And that's where the co-hosting model really comes in. I can take, Taylor, if you had a house already and you said, hey, all I need to do is furnish it. Kyle, show me how to furnish it. And then Kyle, I don't have the time for this. I want you to rent it out for me and I'll pay you a management fee to do that. That's what co-hosting is. So let's say I make you $10,000. I gross $10,000 for you in one month on that property. I'm going to take 20, 25, maybe even 30% or more of that right off the top. And that's going to be my management fee. But you pay for all expenses. You pay for all of the risk. Plus you own the property. I only own the responsibilities of the day-to-day to make you as much money as possible. And when you win, I win as well. Okay. So there are a few strategies in here that we've discussed in that you could buy the property and short-term lease it out your own. You could, on the opposite end of this spectrum, do an arbitrage where you go to a landlord, rent the unit and and tell them you're going to do this. Don't don't hide it, do it above board. And then you rent it out yourself short-term. And then kind of in the middle there, you're essentially property managing for another investor, if you will. But in that case, that investor is the one going out and doing an arbitrage model or are they buying the property or does it not matter? Yeah, they they typically are going to buy the property. I've heard of some people that will arbitrage it and then pass it off, but I don't I don't think there's enough margin in most of those deals mm. uh, because the landlord is typically right. They're going to they're going to up the rent enough so that they're making their money, too. So most of the time, I'm going to do that with someone who already owns the property. Okay. Okay. I would imagine that 
through COVID, I mean, you said that it was a good time to be a, a short-term rental host, but in, in many areas, like here in, in Richmond, where I live, the rental market generally got much more competitive through COVID. We had a lot of people moving here. I mean, there's so many reasons why it got more competitive, but to me, that would make it less attractive to lease a unit to a short-term rental arbitrage type of tenant who's going to short-term it out because, hey, the rents are flying up anyway. I can get a long-term tenant in there and not have to worry about it. Is that the case? Did it get harder to do arbitrage because of demand for rentals during COVID or was it not affected? No, I, I think you're dead on. But here's the thing is that when it comes down to this type of model for arbitrage, I'm I'm looking for really one or two, maybe three relationships. That's all mm-hmm. I need. I need one, one to three yeses from a landlord. I don't need to go out and get a bunch of landlords to tell me yes, because what's going to happen is that I'm going to find that one or two that are connected to all these other people who own properties, right? And if they say, and, and this is exactly how I built my business. I started with a couple arbitrages. Those landlords talked to some other landlords. Those landlords ended up calling me, hey, I heard you're doing Airbnb out of this person's house. Can you talk to me about that? And now through basically just warm marketing and through people calling my phone, I'm able to now present them with the option. Hey, you could either furnish this yourself and I'll take a management fee and I'll do everything or I'll furnish it and I'll just give you your guaranteed rent. Now I can give an option to every single person coming my way. I cold marketed for three months when starting this business. Ever since then, I have not done any sort of looking on hot pads or Zillow or Facebook marketplace. They've all come inbound leads to me because of the relationships that I've built. So I'm really big on that side of it is if you have the ability to present yourself professionally and create great relationships, and this business just kind of takes care of itself. One of our most successful students, it's crazy. He started in February of 2022. And now to date, as we record this in August of 2022, it's been what, six months? He's now collected over $800,000 of revenue on Airbnb <laughs> in just that six months. If, and he's got 50 units that are live. And I can tell you, he said the same thing. It was, I got the first few, I got some, some proof of concept. And then I was able to show all these people what I was doing. And they either said, hey, here's a bunch of money for you to, to go and do more arbitrages and I'll just fund your arbitrages. Or here's a bunch of properties for you to take over and just go do your thing. And, and that's all it really takes. But most people, here's the thing, Taylor, most people, and I get this all the time, they DM me, I'm talking to all these landlords, I'm getting no's, I'm getting no's, I can't figure out how to get a yes from a landlord. And they quit after 20, 30, 40, 50 conversations when they were only 10, 15, 20 away from that first yes that could have created that snowball effect. Mm, so it's it's giving up before you hit it, but that could be, I mean, hearing no is disheartening, but that's also just part of building a business. You're going to hear no a lot. Yeah. I mean, setting the expectation to, and, and I'm actually talking about this a lot with our students, detaching yourself from the result, right? When when I can go out there and say, hey, this this week, I'm going to talk to 15 landlords and I'm just going to work on getting better every single time. Now we see progress. Now we meet our own expectations. And by getting better every time and hitting those 15 landlords, we're naturally, if we keep on doing that every week, we're eventually going to get one. But if I say, I need to sign one lease this week, then I focus so much on the pressure of the result rather than just the action of what's going to eventually create the results. Um, So that's, to me, 
where where most people make the big and and that goes for anything real estate related, right? Like, uh, gosh, I mean, one of the most successful flippers and wholesalers that we have uh, here in Fresno. It took them a year to get their first deal, and now they're one of the best in town. Like, think about what would have happened if they quit after four months, right? Mm-hmm. They just they just needed that first deal. Wow. Okay. Awesome. Well, we're definitely short on time here. I wanted to get to any of the the, the risks of this model because every investing model that we use has has risks involved. And this one, in my mind, the biggest risk is probably regulatory municipalities going after short term rentals. I mean, how do you control for that? I mean, that's a long question and a long answer to that. But I want to at least touch on that. Yeah, I'll tell you this to give it a a, a quick answer. First of all, just check your government website, see what the current regulations are. What I've found is that most metropolitans um, are going to have some sort of regulations. There's some exceptions though too. Dallas and Houston and Phoenix and Scottsdale, like there's a lot of metropolitans out there that don't have issues with this, but a lot of metropolitans have some issues with short-term rentals. So it's really finding a home in those secondary markets that maybe are a little bit more vacation rental. You know, for for us, that's Bass Lake. Uh, it's an hour away from us. They love that. That entire town is built off of short-term rentals. That's never going to go away as long as the city is getting their taxes that they're being paid. So I would look for uh, a city that has fair regulations and is getting paid their taxes. So just you have to get it permitted. You have to get it registered with the city. You have to pay taxes. They they're they're seeing that. And they're saying it's okay. We allow this. We just want to make sure we're getting paid. Those are the ones that are going to be sustainable most of the time. And just kind of staying away from those bigger cities, unless the city or state has any sort of law that's been passed that says like, you can never ban this. For example, Scottsdale um, in Arizona, they have a law that's been passed that you cannot ban short-term rentals. But what Scottsdale has done instead is say, you can only have X amount of people per house, right? And that's fine. I can do that. But if I have a 30-day minimum, or it has to be owner-occupied, I can't really start a business or build a business over there. Makes sense. You would look for, in the in the sense that it's a little counterintuitive, but you would look for a city that has a regulatory framework in place that at least gives you a box that you can play. And now if it's too restrictive, like the, you mentioned the 30-day minimum or something, then you're, you're just going to look elsewhere. But if they have nothing in place, it's still a little too open. You don't know what might change. But if they have something there that gives you either protection or you can work within it, then you can move forward with that. Yeah, I, I think that's a good way to look at it. And then from there, you automate that area, You know, get it to a place where you can pay a team to do as much as possible. And then you go find another area to grow in so that you can kind of spread the risk around and diversify. Very cool. Right now, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. The first step to growing your wealth is tracking your wealth, income, spending, and everything else about your finances. You can start tracking your wealth for free and get six free months of wealth advisory with personal capital by going to escapingwallstreet.com and using our link. Create your free account today and automate the way you track your money. Personal capital is my preferred way to track my finances, and now we're making that available for listeners. Terms and conditions apply. See the personal capital website for details. Once again, to get the offer, go to escapingwallstreet.com and use our link. Back to the show. All right, I've got three questions I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? Let's do this. Great. First one, what is the best investment you ever made other than in your education? 
Yeah, I want to say education, but I can't. So in 2020, literally, I moved into a house that I bought the day before COVID hit, but it turned out to be the best investment ever because I raised the money to buy that house with with someone else's money. I used my conventional, my ability to get a conventional loan at 5%. And I lived in the mother-in-law unit, Airbnb, the front unit. And then we converted the back, which was a workshop into another studio and have (laughs) traveling nurses there. So literally I got paid in year one, about a thousand dollars a month to live where I lived. And then I eventually refinanced that, got it all paid off. Um, the ARB went up about $200,000 in that time. And with the addition of the studio, I was able to pay off the person who was on that loan, helping me to get that house. And now I own it today without anyone else on the loan. And we net about 2,2500 a month on that house. Awesome. That's great. So we had the best investment. Now we go to the other side of that coin, the worst investment. What is the worst investment you ever made? Uh, I'm, I purchased an an app. So I made it with, this was back when I was you know, doing my, my own business, but I hired a guy to make an app and I did it without even testing the market to see if it was something that they wanted. I just had this idea, here's 25K and this is definitely going to work. You know, all good ideas have to pay off, right? No, mm-hmm. that was not the, the case. So found out very quickly that I had made a really poor investment and a big learning lesson from that too. I bet. My favorite question here at the end of the show, speaking of lessons, is what is the most important lesson you've learned in business and investing? That you're going to bump your head and and make a ton of mistakes no matter what, but you can make a lot less mistakes if you just find someone who's been there and done that. Um, everything today now, even, even if I feel like I can go learn it, I just know that that's not where my time is is most valuable. So I would much rather hire someone who already is doing it to do it, or I would hire someone who can help me learn it a lot quicker so that I'm not spending a bunch of time on YouTube or going through a course and, and trying to figure that out on my own. I want to get straight to the source and get to the, uh, the, the quickest way to success, which is just find someone who's already done it. Absolutely. I've learned the most about my various real estate investing strategies by learning from people who have done it before. And Kyle, I want to thank you for joining us today, teaching us about your journey into short-term rental success and everything in between, building your teams, all that great stuff, learning skills along the way. And I will go back and uh, re-pick up uh, the four-hour work week that's been on my mind and you've inspired me. That's going to go back on my uh, reading list here again. For those out there who want to find you, want to track you down, want to learn more about what you're up to or anything like that, where can they find you? Yeah. Easiest way to do that, just start up my website, fearlesskyle.com. It'll direct you to our podcast, our YouTube channel, which is called The Fearless Investor. Um, I'm posting reels all the time on our Instagram account to help you with just little tidbits to to dominate this business. And that's at Fearless Kyle. And then I believe in the show notes, we're going to have a link to my course, which thank you, Taylor, for having us on today. We're going to give $500 off to anyone that wants to buy that, usually $1,497, just $997 for your audience. So if they want to go get that, and learn how to do exactly what we're doing. We'd love to be able to help them out. Awesome. Well, that's a a great offer. That's a big discount to you on the course. And I appreciate you offering that to our listeners. And I appreciate you once again, uh, sharing those lessons with us today. To everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind. I appreciate that so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcasts ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys. 
that gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street Casino along with us. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Right now, I hope you have a great rest of your day and we'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.